Hey, it's me, Gavin Crawford. Listen, if this Alzheimer's podcast doesn't quite have enough jokes for you, I do have another podcast where it's actually all about kidding. It's called Because News, and every week I'll quiz comedians about the headlines. Do you worry about kids being exposed to drag? I grew up going to see men in dresses singing every Sunday, and we had to give them money, okay? <laughs> I wish they were singing show tunes and had some makeup on their hair done, right? It would have been way better. If the news has you screaming into the void, we can help with that. Because news is available on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. One of the things he liked to do was go and look at cars, you know, that he might buy, because that was always kind of a thing for him. You know, he like, you know, occasionally would happen, he'd come home with a new car um, when I was a kid. Here I'm talking to my friend Aurora Brown from Baroness Von Sketch Show, who's experiencing Alzheimer's with her father right now. So one of the things we would do together in the fall of 2020 is like, go and stop at the um, uh, the Subaru place and just kind of look at cars. And he liked to have that chat with people. Were you always on pins and needles, like when they say, let's go for a test drive? Well, I wasn't until this one day because he's like, I'm going to go in and talk to the guy. So I said, OK, well, I'll stay with the car. And then he'd been gone for a while and I got out of the car and walked and just happened to intercept my dad pulling out, <laughs> like pulling up to the exit in a new Subaru, going for a test drive by himself in a car, like so far from his car as far as like there's computers, like it's, you know, it's a smartphone basically with a car around it. And I was like, what? And I was so mad at him. You know, I got in with him and helped him and stuff like that. But I was like, I can't believe you're doing, you know, that was one of the few times I allowed my anger to kind of unload on him. And he was so crestfallen. I felt awful. I'm Gavin Crawford, and this is Let's Not Be Kidding, a story about me and my mom and Alzheimer's. Episode 5, Hide the Keys. One of the things that you come to learn about Alzheimer's is that although it doesn't exactly move in a linear direction, it doesn't ever go backwards. I mean, the memories kind of go backwards, but the condition slowly marches on. And there comes a point, I think, well, there's a point in everyone's aging process, whether or not they have Alzheimer's, that uh, they probably shouldn't drive anymore. <laughs> No one in our family could take my mother's keys away because yeah. she driving was such a huge part of her identity yep. that we couldn't do it for so much longer mm-hmm. than we knew we should. Like when she's driving into the oncoming lane of traffic and we're mm-hmm. still like, you know, what if she needs to nip to the store? <laughs> it just makes you think, oh, Lord, how many people are out there right yeah. now oh. driving cars oh, yeah. not knowing what a car is? Driving was a very central part of my mom's existence. Growing up, she would always say, get your license. You have to get your license. For her, it meant freedom. My mom used to like to do a thing called a non-destination vacation, where she would just pile us in the car with suitcases and start driving somewhere. We didn't know where. I don't even know if she knew where. And we would just drive somewhere. Sometimes it was, you know, towards Kelowna, 
or Vancouver. We'd drive to BC. We'd spend a couple of days in the Okanagan, just her and the kids. Usually when my dad was at a golf tournament, I think it might have been like some weird payback of him having to go do something and her just being like, well, I'm not sitting here doing nothing. She needed to know that at any point in time she could get in the car and just get the hell out of Dodge, as she used to say. (laughs) And my mom was kind of a badass driver. I remember once we were driving over top of a very steep mountain pass going to the Sun Road in Glacier National Park, and the brakes failed. We were going down a mountain road, and I remember my mom very clearly saying, like, hang on, hang on, everyone hang on, hang on to something. We're going to have to crash into the side. And she had to ditch us on the side of the mountain and let the car get scraped by bushes and dirt to stop the car. And then she got out, and some motorcyclers were coming behind us, a bunch of Harley Davidson guys. You know, they were like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And I remember my mom saying, like, yeah, we just need a tow truck, and, you know, we got to go get some help. And she told us not to move and to stay in the car. And she hopped on the back of a Harley-Davidson and drove off with the motorcycler. You know, and then eventually came back. But, you know, she was, she knew how to deal with shit. Like once or twice, even after I wouldn't let her drive anywhere, I I would let her drive me over to Safeways. And I thought we were going to get killed on the way there, you know, so... That was it. That was once that happened, that was no more driving dawn. This is my dad, Keith Crawford. She followed me to Reagan's one time from in Calgary. She was supposed to follow me in the truck. And then I see her turning off and she went and got lost there. I had to go searching around looking for her, looking for the car. I finally just happened to find it. So that was pretty scary too. But we never took the keys. She always had the car keys. We just hid the car. She kept asking me, well, where's my car? Like, where's my car? And I used to say, well, like, someone borrowed it, you know. And then then she forgot, you know. And then her driver's license expired, so. I remember her calling me and being furious. Well, your father's hidden the car. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm just trapped here. Right. And I'm like, well, Mom, you know, you did drive all the way home from watercolors in the wrong lane of traffic the other day. She's like, there was construction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's always an excuse. It's always something. And my mom, I didn't see the one-way sign. No, my mom once turned like a left turn right into oncoming traffic in oh, Calgary. And God. I'm like, Mom, we're in the wrong lane. And she's like, oh, they keep changing this intersection. Right. I'm like, yeah, I think it's not at all. The this same. is producer and author Rachel Matlow talking about the moment they had to take the keys from their dad. It's so bizarre. There's so many things that I still, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. So you said he doesn't have his driver's license currently. Did you? Oh, God, Did you no. guys actively that was the first stop him from driving? Yeah. I turned him in, <laughs> as he likes to remind me. Yeah, that was, because that was just like, you know, there's just certain things where it's like, I can't put other people at risk. I see what's happening. And so I spoke to his doctor And then that's when he went for one of those memory tests. And that's when they were pretty clear that that's what this is. And so at that point, that was devastating for him. It really was. This is the point in the disease where things get increasingly difficult. 
because you have to make hard choices and you have to do things that make your loved one mad at you for their own safety. And it isn't fun. To paraphrase a certain saying, it's only funny until someone loses the car. My dad was still driving, which sounds, I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that was one of the things that he could still do. And so we were loath to take away things that he could still do. Again, that's Aurora Brown from Baroness Von Sketch Show. I mean, we, we changed it so we were always in the car with him because it would happen sometimes that he didn't remember where the button to put down the windows. But there was this one day where I was in the kitchen and he came down and he said, uh, well, I have to go to work. And we were very conscientious of the fact that you're not supposed to, or it's counterproductive to try to get the person to remember like, daddy, now you know, you don't have it. So I just was like, okay, let me dry my hands. I'll go with you to your office where you have to go. And I was really curious to see how this would play out because I thought, well, I'm in the car with him. I can grab the wheel or whatever. Like, I, I can keep him physically safe. But let's find out, actually, like, how is he going to think through this? So I got in the car with him. It was really calm. And then he was like, okay, which way is the office? And I was like, where do you think it is? And he's like, I think I turn right. And I was like, okay. So we turned right. And I could I could hear the wheel spinning in his head at this point. And he was like, is my office. And that's when I was like, well, actually, you haven't had an office for about 10 years. He's like, yeah, I thought so. It was crazy, like, hearing him go in and try to work things out. I remember talking to my mom once on the phone and going into this weird dance where I was trying to hype her up about how great it was to be a passenger. You know, just being like, yeah, but I mean, just think about it. You can just sit back and relax. It's like having a chauffeur. Like, you don't have to worry about the traffic. You can go wherever you want. Like, think of it as having your own personal driver, only it's dad. Anything I could think of to try to make it not seem so bad. But it just was bad because I knew that that meant she was losing her independence and she knew that she was losing independence. And my mom has always been very independent. She was very, very determined. She had an idea of what she wanted. She went after it, and she could do it, you know. She wanted decided to go to university to finish her degree. She went to university and finished her degree. She decided to learn how to do welding for an art project. She learned how to do welding. She decided to be a painter. She became a painter. She was very, very determined, you know. She's still pretty determined, actually. That's what they say. And busy. She could. Your mom's a great multitasker. I'm sure your mom could do 10 things at a time and do all 10 of them without a slip-up in any of them. She could do them all. None of us ever saw my mom cry. She would never cry in public. The only place my mom would ever cry is by herself in the car. I would know if she was upset about something if she went for a drive. Because you could see that she maybe had been crying when she came back, but she hid it extremely well. When did you or, like, members of your family would be like, oh, no, this is definitely Alice? Yeah, so the driving was a bit off. This is Rachel Matlow again. But the, one of the weirdest things was my dad developed this obsession with tights. 
he loves to wear like men's sports tights. Like spandex, the kind of tights that if a man wears, he should definitely be wearing shorts on top of them, unless he's like in the Tour de France. Yeah. You know, just not appropriate dress wear. And I remember, like, maybe ironically, we had tickets. We went to see um, the Fun Home, the musical, the, mm-hmm. based on Alison Bechdel's memoir, like about her dad. Yeah. And he showed up to the theater in tights. In, sp- in like light tights? In tights. In light tights. And I was just a little bit like, you know, I try not to be embarrassed by my parents, you know, anymore. But I was just a bit like, really? And I think I made fun of him and he got so sensitive and ran home and it was a whole thing. But and since then, he's just been stockpiling them. And he wears a lot of the white ones that are quite sheer. So it, it literally looks like he's walking around in his underwear and there'd be sightings. A lot of times people would call like me or my brother and be like, we saw your dad today. Um, how to put this? But uh, I think he was wearing his underwear in the village. Um, just want to make sure everything's all right. And your brother's isn't your brother a city councilor? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like for me, I'm like whatever. But for him, it's like he has constituents writing him with like the subject lines, like delicate matter. <laughs> um, we saw your dad today. Yeah. I realize it wasn't just our family, but for everyone, this question of when do you take away the keys is a really hard call. So I sought out some expert advice. There isn't one answer, but the overarching principle is when somebody is at risk to hurt themselves or someone else on the road. So public safety is the guiding principle. This is Dr. Sharon Cohen, a behavioral neurologist and the medical director of Toronto Memory Program. I think it's safe to say when people get to the stage of Alzheimer's where they're needing help with basic personal care, like dressing, feeding themselves, toileting, bathing, that driving window has gone. At the milder stage, there's a quite a bit of variability, and we do think the gold standard is a road test, and so people will actually do an on-road test with an instructor or an examiner and see if there are problems with driving or not. But for a patient who really still can drive, and that's the way they can stay involved and connected with friends and family and go to church or whatever it is they would like to do, and you rob them of that if they really were still safe, then you're confining them to a much smaller world and maybe more precipitous decline in, in their state because they're more disconnected. It did seem to me that after my mom stopped driving, there was a bit of an acceleration and decline. It was shortly after she couldn't drive the car anymore that she just started wanting to go. And at first we weren't sure even where she wanted to go. She would only sit for maybe 10 minutes at a time, no matter where we were, if it was at her own house in Lethbridge, if she was at my sister's house in Calgary, wherever she was, she would just after about 10 minutes kind of grab her purse and be like, well, I mean, let's get going. We should probably hit the road. The little clicks meant she was getting impatient. And it became increasingly difficult because there was nowhere to go. At first, we would take her around the block or distract and say like, yeah, we'll head out in a bit, but let's have a cup of tea. But it just became increasingly frequent that she just always wanted to go. 
she liked going out for like lunch and stuff. And so we would do that or go for a drive or whatever. My sister, Regan. So me and Bridget and mom went to the Jasmine tea room and then like all these teas. And so like I got her a tea and they had this like cool like biscuits with their homemade jam. Like she would have loved it. And then she's like, I just, can we just get out of here? Like she was so annoyed at how cluttery and like there was this porcelain everywhere and Bridget's drinking her tea and mom's like just like dying and then I'm like isn't this place awesome and she's like yeah it's really nice she's like we better get going though and I'm like well no we have nowhere to go like we're fine like we we're here it's totally fine and then she'd be like well I just you know what I just need to get out of here here (laughs) it's like so funny (laughs) That's when things start to get a little dark because there isn't much that you can do as a carer other than try to distract them and calm them because it didn't ever seem to go away and the agitation would increase. I remember vividly once we were at my brother's at Thanksgiving and all of my family was there and all of the kids were there and it was quite loud and we were having a big Thanksgiving dinner at my brother's house in Calgary. And I could see my mom getting irritated by the kids, which is new because kids don't irritate my mother, especially her own grandchildren. But it was getting loud and I could see her moving towards the door and kind of searching for her jacket, not sure which one it was. And I looked at Kyle and I kind of raised my eyebrows. And sure enough, very shortly after that, uh, she announced very loudly like, well... This was great, but uh, I gotta get going. And so Kyle and I just said, yeah, we gotta go too. And we just sort of grabbed our coats and piled her into the car and then just went for a drive in Calgary as if we were going home. Kind of drove up to the ridge and went for a little walk along the path. And uh, it was very funny. I have a very funny picture because... She asked us if we wanted her to take our picture. Uh, the picture is very funny because we are not in the frame. There's four or five pictures of, you know, I think it's the very top of Kyle's head or maybe our feet. But yeah, we just drove her around until she sort of started to say, should we, like, maybe be getting back? I don't know if you knew this, but the world of podcasting is massive. Hi, I'm Leah. I'm the host of CBC's Podcast Playlist. There is such a constant avalanche of new releases, it can be hard to keep up. Luckily, Podcast Playlist can help. Every week, we deep dive into the podcast world to find the most compelling stories. And every month, we'll give you a sneak peek into the hottest new releases so you can stay ahead. Tune in to Podcast Playlist on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. The driving trick didn't always work, particularly if it was a longer drive. Like the time we tried to take my mom to Waterton National Park, which is only about an hour and a half away from Lethbridge. And it's beautiful, and it's in the Rockies, and my mom used to love to go there. And Kyle had never seen it, so I thought, you know what? Let's take her on a little trip. It didn't go exactly how we planned Well, it just became clear that she didn't know where she was. Sometimes she didn't know who we were. 
And we just felt like we were kidnapping her. Like she would just ask leading questions, like from the back seat, you just hear like, what direction is this? Wait, this isn't the way home. And as panicked as she would sound, because she's always so polite, like you just kind of got the feeling that she wasn't sure what was happening. Like she didn't have that, you know, comfort that she's with people. Her tone changed like to something she would say to a stranger, not what she would say to someone she obviously knew who it was. So it became clear we were kidnapping her. Then we were trying to take her to Fort McLeod because she's always saying, I just got to get back to home to Fort McLeod. I've got kids at home in Fort McLeod. And so we were driving through Fort McLeod. We're like, well, here we are in Fort McLeod. No, this isn't it. She was like, this? No, no, that's not Fort McLeod. And then... We're like, oh, shit. Fort McLeod just became something that didn't exist, only existed in her memory. Like, it didn't match her memory. So, like, she was in a different time with it. I remember desperately putting on Helen Reddy's greatest hits, you know, just in a hope that I could distract her enough with I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar to just keep from panicking that we were some strangers abducting her to a new land. And it worked for a certain amount of time. But then, of course, that stupid Helen Reddy, Me and You Against the World song came on, where it's like the mom and the kid, and then I started bursting into tears. So I'm driving and, like, trying not to, like, look like I'm bawling my eyes out, and Kyle's, like, sitting in the back, like, just being like, oh, well, I can't wait till we get back to your house. We're on our way to the house. Meanwhile, I'm just like... Uh, you and me against the world, we used to listen to this. The needing to go thing got worse and worse and harder and harder, particularly for my dad, who was often there alone with my mom at home. And then the sun would set and she would grab her purse and say to my dad, you know, shouldn't we uh, get going? Like, I got to get home. She didn't think this was our house. I mean, she she designed this house and built everything in it. And I could not convince her that this was her house. She wrote a note to her grandmother saying it was nice. We're sorry that we missed her, that we didn't, when we stayed at her house, and uh, that we'd see her next time. And her grandmother's been dead for six years, you know. I remember my dad would call me or one of my other siblings and be quite beside himself, just desperate to say, like, you know, could you just please tell your mother I'm me? And we all had a sort of different way of dealing with it. Sometimes I would try and say, like, Mom, that's Dad. Oftentimes I wouldn't. Oftentimes I made up the most outlandish lies. One that worked quite often would be to tell her that the bridge was out. I'd be like, I just saw on the news that the bridge is out and you can't get back to Fort McLeod tonight because the bridge is washed out. There's been a flash flood. So I guess you just have to like, you're safe there. Everybody's fine. Just hang out for a half an hour and I'll call you back and see if they fix the bridge. And then she would be like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, you can't drive when the bridge is out. It was awful. It was like I, I, you know, I I did everything I could to try and distract her, but. 
she was determined, you know how determined she is. Well, she was as determined to do what she thought was she was doing. Well, I'll just, I'll just go down and get the bus and draw, and take the bus. I said, well, the bus doesn't go there anymore. Well, then I'll just walk. Well, it's lizarding outside. Well, I don't care. I'll just die on this side of the road. You know, higher back fences. She went out the front door and climbed over the back fence. What? Yeah. And I had to find her. I mean, it sounds hyperbolic, but the weird thing is my mom's grandfather did freeze to death on the side of the road when my grandmother was eight. On Christmas Eve, he had got out to deliver presents. The story was always that he got too drunk and lost his way in a blizzard, but now knowing what happened to my grandmother, his daughter, and my mom, his granddaughter, in retrospect, it seems pretty clear that it probably wasn't the booze. I guarantee you it had Alzheimer's. It was just undiagnosed because he had several episodes where he would disappear for like a week at a time and, and then he would finally remember and he'd show up, you know? So that's what happened to him. Okay, great. Well, so much for the hope that this only happens to the women in my family. Alzheimer's comes in fits and starts, and you try to find the humor wherever you can. But there does come a point where it's harder and harder because shit literally starts to get real. I wanted to maximize the time that I wanted to, I knew it mm -hmm. was starting to happen. So her and my dad would come and visit us. But, you know, there was sort of a good, like, two-year period where, you know, she just wouldn't shower. Mm -hmm. She would insist that she had had a shower, mm -hmm. like, or, you know, and you're like, Mom, you've been here for a week and a half, and I know that you haven't had a shower. But, like, yeah. she's like, I just washed my, you know, and then, you know, you'd have to do these weird tricks where I'd be like, oh, I'm playing a hairdresser in this oh, yeah. thing, and I got to practice washing hair, and I don't have anybody to practice on. Yeah. You know, Mom would be like, well, I guess you could practice. I suppose you could practice on me. And that worked amazing. You know, and then you just, like, wash your hair under the tap. I never got to the point where I had to give her, like, a full yes. shower. I used to turn the water on, and then I would have a shower, and then I would get out of the shower and be like, Mom, the like the water in this house takes forever to heat up. You've got to jump in the shower right now while it's still running. Right. Because I don't want to, like, if I turn it back off, it's going to be three hours before it's hot again. Yes. And then I just, I'd sort of hustle her into the bathroom and then wait outside with a towel. And I, I could sometimes get her to do it that way. This is awful to talk about for some people, but the threshold of incontinence is a huge one for most people. That is usually what makes people decide like, okay, I can, I can take up to here, but I'm going to put the person away. And like, there's a sister of mine who just can't deal with that stuff, uh, even really hear about it, which I get. But even that, like, I've worked on a farm, I've shoveled manure, we've had a baby, like, we can talk about this too kind of thing. It stood me in good stead anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like after you've done a number of commercial auditions, there's no level of humiliation <laughs> that you can't do. That you can't deal with. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to do that for their parents. Singer songwriter Jan Arden. You know, that famous, you know, adage, well, they did it for us. They changed our diapers. 
So I always kept thinking of that when friends would say that. Full circle. But it's not as cute. <laughs> They're not tiny little chubby, cute beings that, you know, when a six-week-year-old pees in your face, it's a far cry from... Yeah, also, a six-week-old doesn't usually say, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Stop it. You're killing me. Who's got my money? Who took my fur coat? So you did end up putting your mom into a long-term care home. Yeah, it got too medical. And especially when you don't... I didn't have RNs looking after mom. I had, you know, regular people. And I was working. Like, I traveled 250 days a year. And I'm trying to figure out how to... Hey, I've got to pay for my mom, so I I can't stop working because this is costing me $22,000 a month to keep her in the house here at home. And people are always like, no, that can't be right. Do the math, 24 hours a day, $25 an hour at least, sometimes 30. And so you're six full-time people, basically, around the clock. And then I would take her when I was home from four till like eight. And at the at the end of those four hours, I was like, Holy shit. I'd have to go to the bathroom so fast because she'd be bolting out the front door. You know, I made the mistake. I used to have a fire in here once in a while when she was here because she liked to have a nice fire. And I came out from the bathroom. I must have been gone 40 seconds instead of 20. And she was carrying the clamp tool, like carrying a lit log, <laughs> just walking through the kitchen. And I screamed. And uh, thank God she didn't drop the log. I was just like, Mom, she goes, what? This is how we always do it. And I didn't get mad. I'm like, oh, well, I forgot that. Well, let, let's put it back. Do you, where do you want to put that? Well, I don't know. Where do you normally put a burning log? And so I flew the, the grates open. And instead of being just like so mad, I mean, I was definitely scared, but I was laughing. I was like, oh, my God, that could have been really, really bad. Remember when we went to Karuva? Uh, yeah, that was, I mean, I think mom enjoyed that, but still was. That's why I thought it would have been nice for me to quit work a few years earlier because we could have done more of that. So she liked to travel. That would have been fun for her to do that. We did a couple of times. We went on a, we went on a, like a non-destination vacation. That one time we just got in the car and, and drove. But she really liked that, you know. And we drove back from you know, we, we drove through Canada all the way back from Toronto that one time. That was fun. She liked that. That's what I, in fact, I never told you that, but that's one of the things that I used to do with her a lot. When she was really bad, I would just bundle up and we'd get in the car and we'd just drive and we'd drive all over the place, you know. And she just loved doing that, you know. Like, she was happy to do that. I would distract her perfectly. So we'd drive out to, you know, Fort McLeod or go to Glenwood or drive up to Calgary and just she just loved doing that so uh, that was good it's cliche advice but honestly do everything you can with the person while you can because there just comes a time for whatever reason when you can't and you end up being really glad about whatever you could do You are like mom, like you don't really talk about the sad parts. Or you kind of talk about it, but you don't cry. No, not really. I just cry by myself in the car. When I open God, you are exactly oh. like her. 
This is my sister Ragged again. Even at work, I was there like, oh, Art, you're not like, I'm like, oh, I've done all my crying in the car on the way here. <laughs> <laughs> but why? I don't know. I just like, it makes me feel better. It doesn't make me feel better crying like with others. I just, I makes me feel better crying on my own. What things like during this time can you do that you like actually like take a little bit of joy in? Things I would say is just like, you're like, oh, I'm really glad that I did all the cool stuff. Like, you're really glad you took mom on all those trips because now, like, you just like realize that, like, she's not going to be able to do that. And it's different than someone maybe just dying. Like, yeah. Or like, they're still alive. But everywhere I go, is somewhere I've gone with mom everywhere. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, 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 I, I was crying in Mount Royal Village yesterday. And I was just like, oh, this is where mom used to take me to get all my preppy clothes. Yeah. But before I came out and I actually cared what I dressed like. I've everywhere I go, like everywhere. I've taken mom on the walk <laughs> in the ravine every, everywhere I go, I've taken her, like, every single place. So that's really sad, but it's also, like, pretty good because then everywhere I go, I still have a memory of being there with her. I'm going for a drive. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next time on Let's Not Be Kidding. There's so much sad already. Like that awful moment when when you have to leave your parent. And, you know, you get to the door and and you know the key code to get out. And and your parent is standing there with you. And and you enter the key code and you open the door and you try to slip through. And it's like, okay, okay, goodbye, goodbye. And, And they want to come with you. And you literally have to close the door in their face. Yeah, there's no way for you not to feel like you're a villain in a rolled doll book dropping their kid off at some horrible boarding school called, like, Miss Murder's Murderous Boarding School. You know what I mean? And then the kid's there, and you're like, all right, see you later, Charlie. Well, you'll be home at home for Christmas. And meanwhile, there's, like, you know, a creepy janitor with a big pair of scissors behind me, like, well, take good care of him. What happens when there's no safe place to be except the place you least want to be. The bus stop at the end of the world. That's next time on Let's Not Be Kidding. You've been listening to Let's Not Be Kidding from CBC Podcasts. The show is written and hosted by me, Gavin Crawford. David Carroll is my producer, story editor, and sound designer. Emily Cannell is our digital coordinating producer. 
Original music by William Lamoureux. Our senior producer is Damon Fairless. Executive producers are Cecil Fernandez and Chris Oak. Tanya Springer is the senior manager of CBC Podcast, and Arif Narani is the director. We're coming to the end of Let's Not Be Kidding, but I host another podcast. It's still me and comedian friends, but with fewer tears. Because News is a weekly quiz show all about the headlines. A woman made the news this week when she apparently experienced a very loud public orgasm. Okay, it's rude that you're calling me out like this. (laughs) Can you tell me for a point, what event brought this woman to her thrilling conclusion? Canceling plans. (laughs) You can find Because News on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.